Awesome. That was awesome. Well, at this time, we usually ask our littles to be dismissed, but today they are staying with us. And so if you need a coloring book or colors, please raise your hand and then we passed down or passed out to you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, Feliz Navidad. Uh, Noel and Jami. Uh, Noel. I can keep going. Okay, but Mary, Mary. What she said. All right. Well, Merry, Merry uh, Christmas. Uh, my name is Emmanuel, and we are in our series. It's a two-part series called the Eternal King. Uh, Rahil just read to us about the uh, the uh, what do you read about again? The rescuing king. Well, the king, the forever king. All right. Today we're covering a new king. Today we're covering the eternal, eternal king, the eternal king. And what we're taking away from this is essentially the idea that the eternal king right, entered into time so that we could enjoy eternity with him. Amen. That God left his throne, came to our space, our time, so that we could one day experience eternity with him as the forever eternal king of kings. Uh, last week, Hunter began the series talking about how Jesus, as the eternal king, is greater than Israel's greatest king, King David. Ask any person alive years after David, David is a standard of, of a king. Every king is compared to David. But the prophets remind us over and over again that Christ, this coming king from their perspective, is actually greater than David could ever, ever be. One reason is he's the eternal king. David ruled for 40 years, but this king reigns forevermore. Today I want to cover this king entering into time, becoming like you and I. If you have your Bible or your smart app, please join me in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll be looking at verses 12 through verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12, going all the way to verse 17. I want to ask you to please stand up for the reading of God's word if you are able to. And God's word says this. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Everyone say mercy. Mercy. Because I acted in arrogance and unbelief. And the grace, everyone say grace, grace. of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for, the, for that very reason, I was shown mercy. Everyone say mercy. mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My first Christmas that I can remember visually happened my third grade year. Uh, By this point, we came from the Congo, uh, and I was now experiencing all that America offer from holidays, from Valentine's Day, where I I wrote a girl a little cute note, but she said no to me, very sad, uh, to Fourth of July, to Thanksgiving, and finally Christmas. And I remember in school, we're reading a bunch of Christmas books, Reindeer, about Rudolph and this, and and Jack the the Frost, the the Snowman, Frosty, Frosty Snowman, thank you so much, Joe, Uh, about the Grinch, reading all these stories and getting caught up on what Christmas is all about. Now, I want to be very careful what I say here. That same Christmas, I discovered that a certain person doesn't exist. Okay? I won't say who it is. There's kids in here. The way I found out was I heard that he got to set out certain type of stuff for this particular person. So on Christmas Eve, I asked mom to make some cookies for me. She said no. I'm like, you know what? Well, this guy is probably overweight. So let me give him some fruit instead. So I got oranges, apples, put it on a little bowl and left it for this man along with some milk. Went to bed, next day expecting amazing gifts, the food being gone, it was all there. The fruit, the milk, all there. That's when I learned. This person was not, you know, I'll say that much. I was sad. I was bummed, right, because we read about it in school. We saw uh, movies about this particular person, but to discover that it's not a thing bummed me out. Later that day, mom pulled me aside and said, hey, in her African-French accent, Daddy, my first name, what is the point of Christmas? What is the point of Christmas? It's so easy for us year after year to get caught up with Christmas and how special and how awesome it is. The, the lights, the, the family, the, the friends, the, the gifts, all that it entails. It's a beautiful and amazing, amazing thing. But it's so easy to forget the point, the purpose of Christmas. In our passage today, Paul reminds of the point of Christmas, and he does this by sharing what Christmas actually demonstrates to us. Paul will tell us, here's the point of Christmas. Here's why year after year we celebrate this holiday. He'll do that by demonstrating to us what Christmas shows us. Now, it's clear that on Christmas we celebrate who? Jesus. The coming of Jesus. And in verse 17 of our chapter, Paul tells us about this Jesus. He says that Jesus is the eternal king. He is king. The word for king here, it could be used for the word emperor in Greek, basileus. What he's saying is this guy's not a king over one domain. He's king over all reality. Everything is for his purpose and his desire, what he wants. Not only is he king, he's also eternal. He is ageless. Go back that way in the past. He's there. Go that way in the future. Guess what? He is still there. He's eternal, ageless. He's immortal, cannot die, will not die. 
I love the, the story in Narnia, the magician's nephew, where uh, Aslan, who's basically God or Jesus, he's singing Narnia into existence. And as he's doing so, there's this witch known as Jadis, who becomes the white witch. She's curious about him and frustrated at him. She takes an object and throws it at him to, to kill him. Doesn't faze him. He's immortal. Jesus is immortal. Cannot die. He's not afraid of death because there's nothing to do with him at all. He's invisible. He cannot be seen. Not only that, but if we could see him, we couldn't see him. Do you get that? If we could see God, our eyes couldn't even bear to do so. There are angels who see God, who have the privilege of seeing God. Guess what? They cover their eyes before God's presence. Unbearable to look at. The only God. There's no other God like this God. From Zeus to Allah. I can go on and on. There's no God like this God. The only God. And because of that, he's worthy of endless honor and endless glory. The idea of glory here goes to the Old Testament where in the Old Testament, when someone approached God's throne, they would experience uh, an immense weight, uh, a heaviness, not because they're sad, because they're overwhelmed by something. Well, that heaviness comes not from God's essence, but from God's presence. God is so great and mighty that he's so glorious that, that, that the weight of glory does not come from him himself, but from what's around him. He's glorious. This is who our king is. If you're into um, Spidey and Friends, Spider-Man, little kids, Spider-Man, any kids here, Spidey and Amazing Friends? Okay, Rahil, thank you so much. If you're into Spidey and Friends, Jesus is greater than Spidey, Spin, and Ghost Spiders combined. Okay, you guys aren't with me yet. Let me keep going. If you're into PJ Masks, Catboy, Owlet, and Gecko, don't compare to who this guy is. Okay, I'll keep going. Harry Potter, Voldemort, Dumbledore, Harry Potter can't compare to him. Yoda, Anakin Skywalker, Luke Skywalker, Ray can't compare to this God. Okay, you guys aren't with me. Um, if you're into DC, he's Superman's Superman. The MCU, Thanos has to go get a glove and some jewels to be powerful. This God is powerful naturally. Dragon Ball Z fans, Goku, Broly, can't touch him. History fans, the first king of kings that we know in history is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. My Bible tells me that this God humbled Nebuchadnezzar until he acknowledged the true king of kings. Rome, the most powerful empire probably ever. Their kings, their Caesars had to do stuff to become all powerful. Yahweh, Jesus is all powerful by himself, always. The United States has been a nation, powerful for a while. We're only here because God allows us. That's how powerful this God is. He is God by himself. In Genesis 22, 
um, God makes a promise with uh, Abram. And, and, and Abram is like, okay, great, make this promise. And God wants to find something or concept to, to seal, to confirm this promise. There's nothing greater than God. So guess what God says? I will seal this promise in my own name. That's how great God is. There's none like this king. There's none like Jesus. Let me pause here and say this. Because he's Lord, immortal, eternal, king, we should not be afraid to ask God to do big things. Sometimes when we pray, we, we pray as if throwing our prayers out there and maybe God will answer them. Maybe he'll just do something with them. If he's God, he can solve our problems. Problems at home, problems at work, problems in the street, problems financially. He can solve our problems. Let's go to him knowing that he's a big God. He can answer big prayers. Family who's run astray, pray that he can woo that son or daughter back to him. A friend or a family member in prison, he can set that person free. That job that you didn't think you could have, he can provide that for you and so much more. Why? Because he is a big, big God. Now, all that was from last week. Recap. Because what Christmas shows us is that Jesus is great because unlike David, he's the eternal, almighty king. Today I want to cover what Jesus did that makes him greater than David. What Jesus did that made him greater than King David. Unlike David, unlike rulers, um, Jesus became low enough to save us. He became low enough to save us. Philippians 2 tells us, although being God, he what? Then I consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he became a, what? a servant for us. Although being God, he became a servant. First John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He became low for us. Kings don't do that. I don't want to do that sometimes. But he became low for us. So, although being king over all things, he became a servant of everyone. Although being eternal, he became time-bound. Although being immortal, he became mortal, able to die on our behalf. Although being invisible, he became visible. We could see him. As the only God, he became a human. Let me pause here and put my theologian's hat on for a little bit. Um, Jesus has to be fully God and fully man. Right? As fully God, he can save us. He can deliver us. He can rescue us. As the rescuing what? Oh, as the rescuing what? King. King. 
at the same time, he has to be fully, fully human. He wasn't partially human. He wasn't acting. He was completely and fully human. He did it for you and I. Became a human. And accordingly, with no honor and no glory or majesty about him. He was so human. How human was he? Okay, let's try it again. He was so human. Okay, one more time. He was so human that when he claimed to be God, it thought he was insane. That's how low he came for us. And because he's human, guess what? He understands. He gets us. Our worries, our fears, our stress, times of joy and excitement, he gets it all because he was just like us. That's why Hebrews 4 says he's able to deal with us gently because he understands because he was just like us. Christmas shows us that unlike David, Jesus became low. Low enough to deliver and save us. Now, why would he do that? Well, because of us. Because of us. Romans 5, Paul says in Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Switch the while with because. Because we're still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. And Paul says in our text here that he witnessed that himself. He was the worst of the worst. He persecuted Christians. He was a violent person. And he says, of all sinners out there, from Cain all the way to the present, he's the worst of the worst. Yet he says, Christ died for him. This act by God, we call it grace. Grace. Kids, tomorrow, maybe tonight, but tomorrow you'll open gifts from your parents, from grandparents, from friends. And by definition, a gift is what? Free. If you do something for it, is it a gift? No, it's payment, what you've done. It's a gift. And grace is a gift. But I will say God's grace is actually much more than simply a gift. God's grace is this. When the person from whom I expect nothing from, or should expect nothing from, gives me everything, that's grace. When the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing from gives me everything, that is grace. In Exodus, God rescues these people called Israelite, the Israelites. They come to Mount Sinai. They make a promise with, with the Lord. They break that covenant right away. Right away. And God's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with y'all. And God has the right to be done with them. Amen. Moses goes to him and says, no, Lord, don't, don't do it. And God says, Moses, y'all have lost your dang mind. Don't expect me to save you guys. But guess what? I will. A Jewish guy 
goes to his father and says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Basically, I want you to die so I can get what belongs to me. Takes his stuff, goes off, wastes his money, finds himself eating what pigs eat. Eventually, he goes back home expecting nothing, but his father gives him what? Everything. That is grace. We do not deserve anything from God at all. But yet, in Jesus, we have everything. That is why he came. Not only that, but we also receive mercy. Mercy. What is mercy? Not receiving the punishment that you what? Deserve. Not receiving the punishment that you deserve. Throughout scripture, throughout history, God shows himself over and over again to be a merciful God. He creates us. We rebel against him. He pursues us. And we don't receive the punishment that we deserve. That is God being merciful to us. Christmas shows us that as the great eternal king, Jesus became like us to bestow us grace and mercy. Became like us. So we may receive grace and mercy. In other words, you can say it this way. Although Christ is beyond us, the beyond king, the eternal king, the everlasting king, he's not beyond our brokenness. He is great. He's also good to leave us in our brokenness. And he came to us so that we may receive eternal life. Every year we sing a couple songs. In fact, we'll sing it later tonight. It's a great song, actually. A really, really cool song. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. (laughs) Emmanuel means what? God with us. At Christmas, we remember God coming to be with us. Now, you're only with those that you actually care about and love. For example, I don't like snakes. I don't hang out with snakes. Right? I don't like, I don't know, certain people, I guess. I'm not with them. Right? You're only with those who you like, who you love. The fact that God came to be with us means God what? Loves us. I've had the privilege to study great theological things and, and so forth. But sometimes we theologians can forget the most basic truth that kids actually get and actually sing about this. And it's this. Jesus loves me. This I know. One more time. Jesus loves me. This I know. Christmas is about that. That Jesus loves you loves us. And that is the point of Christmas. So, tonight, tomorrow, the rest of the Advent season, do what you need to do. Eat food, stay up late, play games, drink eggnog, which is pretty delicious, by the way, sometimes. (laughs) Open presents. But don't forget the most basic truth, that Jesus, although being great, all-powerful loves you. And that is the point 
of Christmas. So receive his love.